Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. U.S. President Joe Biden intends to visit Israel and the Palestinian Authority next month in a show of support for their governments and for an internationally aspired two-state solution. However, the fragility of the Israeli ruling coalition, which is hanging by a thread, prevents any substantive progress on the Israel-Palestinian file at a time when alternate arenas are seemingly prioritized over the decades-old conflict. Moreover, Jerusalem is trying to harness the United States to its tougher anti-Iran policy, while the U.S. wishes Israel adopt a tougher line vis-à-vis Moscow in the Ukraine war, despite the Israeli need to avoid friction with Russia in Syria. To analyze this, we are joined from central Israel by Ambassador Daniel Yalon, the co-host of TV7 Middle East Review, Powers in Play co-panelist and former Israeli ambassador to the United States, as well as Israel's deputy foreign minister. Thank you for joining us, Danny. My pleasure. Also joining us uh, from elsewhere here in Jerusalem is Mr. Dan Diker, who is a senior fellow and project director of the political warfare and foreign policy at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Good morning. Good morning, indeed. Uh, joining us also here at the studio is our TV7 editor-at-large, and host of TV7 Watchmen Talk, Powers in Play, and so much more, Mr. Emil Owen. Emil, give us a broader understanding on this unique relationship uh, between Israel and the United States at a time when strategic competition, great power competition, some call it, um, is truly taking form around the world and also impacting uh, this unique relationship between Washington and Jerusalem. So there is a natural tension between uh, domestic politics and foreign policy. And this is especially true now with both the uh, Biden administration and the Bennett government um, operating in uh, essentially a 50-50 mode. In the uh, U.S. Senate, uh, there is um, a device by which Vice President Kamala Harris can break a tie Um, Of course, uh, it doesn't apply to uh, vetoes uh, override and and other uh, legislative uh, measures, but uh, Biden can get his wish uh, through the Senate. Um, Naftali Bennett, on the other hand, uh, is uh, obviously fighting uh, for his survival. So uh, the net sum of uh, this domestic situation uh, on uh, both um, uh, banks of the pond, of the ocean, is that there is no uh, real space for any initiative. Um, Even if President Biden is unhappy with what is happening uh, on the uh, Israeli-Palestinian arena, there is not much he can do because of Republican pressure, and there is not much he can expect uh, Bennett uh, to do because the government uh, may fall even before the midterm elections in the uh, United States. Now, having uh, said that, yes, you uh, uh, ticked off the problems, Iran, the uh, Ukraine, the Palestinian-Israeli problem. Um, But one should always understand that uh, whatever the, the political tension between the president and the prime minister, the incumbents, on the professional level, 
there is outstanding cooperation between the military and intelligence communities, especially since Israel has moved to CENTCOM, to the Central Command. And um, I would draw your attention to a paper uh, published um, a week ago or so by the Washington Institute for Near East Policy by Major General Eyal Zamir, a serving officer, the uh, former uh, deputy chief of staff of the IDF, and a contender Indeed. for the uh, uh, top spot uh, once he goes back to Israel, in which he called for a very assertive policy led by CENTCOM, by the United States, in an alliance of uh, like-minded states uh, such as Israel, the Gulf states, and other moderate Arab regimes. All of that, of course, vis-a-vis -vis Iran. Indeed, a, a paper that speaks to the heart of both Bennett and Netanyahu, for that matter, uh, at a time when he seems to uh, contend, as you mentioned, against other uh, senior officers that have also high uh, probabilities of uh, assuming that role and also are maybe somewhat closer to the defense minister who, who ultimately takes uh, that decision. But Ambassador Ayalon, uh, I'd like to start with you. How do, how do you see or characterize uh, the current relationship between Washington and Jerusalem? Well, I would say this is uh, in a one sentence probably and um, an alliance between uh, crippled political partners. Um, Biden is uh, crippled, you know, because of uh, the inflation in the United States, the stock markets, a lot of criticism about the price hype of uh, oil um, mired in the situation in the, the Ukraine and, uh, of course, the borders. He is almost, almost a, a lame duck. Uh, and of course, facing now a midterm elections, which are very important, it can break the tie in Congress, the tie that uh, Amir uh, Oren mentioned before. And uh, on the other hand, of course, we have here uh, Bennett, uh, you know, presiding over a very fragile government, which can uh, be toppled uh, every minute. And it is very important for Biden and, it, and uh, his administration to keep Biden in power. They certainly do not want to see on the one hand, the return of Bibi Netanyahu, they still feel, especially the, the Democrats, feel very stunned by Netanyahu's actions back in 2015 when the, he went all out against the JCPOA, the Iran deal, and, uh, you know, with a political attack directly on, the, on uh, Obama. Biden was his vice president, of course, the Democrats. And uh, on the other hand, um, instability here, uh, if there is a government here, which uh, cannot take any decisions, uh, major ones, and they know they cannot. But uh, certainly they would not like to see any uh, upheaval in terms of uh, uh, terror attacks and counterattacks, and uh, they do not want to see any major uh, shift in the settlement uh, policy. So it's all very, very, I would say, uh, accommodating. Uh, we have seen just last week uh, after the Biden government, I think, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the, the Bennett government, which I believe had no choice but to give something to the right wing of the government in order to keep stability, at least for now, and not having them uh, uh, lose the government uh, altogether. They approved uh, 4,000 more uh, housing units in the West Bank. 
Uh, but this was done in a kind of with a wink with the Biden government. They, uh, uh, on the one hand, they didn't like it, but uh, they didn't uh, show too much of a um, demonstration or, uh, or any uh, condemnations. It was a low-level condemnation after they were uh, able to uh, discuss it before the decision was made and bring down the, um, the housing building from 6,000 to 4,000. So it's going to be an accommodation. It's going to be some kind of a understanding each other uh, with the hope that these two, uh, uh, one administration in Washington and the government here uh, will uh, continue at least for the next uh, half of the Biden's term. Mr. Dyker, as Ambassador Ayalon uh, spoke to uh, the uh, challenge between the Democratic uh, Party and uh, the, the former government of Israel under Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu at the time, uh, there was also some kind of a challenge or a growing uh, frustration within the Jewish community in, in America uh, towards uh, the Netanyahu government. You uh, formerly served as the head of the World Jewish Congress. Uh, you have uh, quite the keen insight into this world. Uh, how do you characterize uh, the, the relationship not only between Israel and the United States, but the Jewish community in the United States and the, the leading community there uh, to uh, the, the Jewish state of Israel? The, uh, Jonathan, the, uh, the Jewish, the organized Jewish community in the United States and the Jewish public is facing an unprecedented onslaught of anti-Semitism, the likes of which uh, we have not seen since the Second World War period. Uh, and I would just draw your attention as the latest example, the, uh, the Harvard Crimson, the most venerated student paper in the United States, and the oldest uh, paper in the United States has just um, uh, offered a full-throated endorsement of a Hamas affiliate, the Palestine Solidarity Committee, uh, creating a, a tremendous uh, sense of outrage um, in uh, the organized Jewish community. And I think that the, the organized Jewish community in the United States um, is, uh, is expressing this tremendous uh, uh, fear for its own physical uh, well-being. But I, I think it also notices, um, and I've heard uh, from leaders there, that, that the sense is that um, Israel is in the middle uh, of a, um, I would say, unprecedented tug of war between uh, Russia and China. Uh, and I would characterize it perhaps as one of the most dangerous moments since the, since the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. The United, um, uh, the, uh, the United States is perceived both by Russia and China as being exceedingly weak and unprepared uh, to take uh, military action against Iran in the midst of a, uh, a very problematic Vienna negotiation now on hold. Um, uh, and Israel is doing everything uh, from its point of view to maintain freedom of action to protect its vital national security interests. This is well known to the United States, to United, to United States Jewry, um, who, who is in the, un, the unenviable, unenviable position, in a way, of being tagged along and accused uh, by the, this, this massive wave of, uh, of anti-Semitism across North America as being claimed by Israel. So it's, it's attached at the hip by Israel. Um, whether it uh, whether it wants to uh, or, or not, and Israel is fighting, um, uh, I, I would say, tooth and nail to maintain its own freedom um, to protect its vital security interests, which are which are subject right now to massive political pressure from the United States, both on the Iran deal, uh, and I think also uh, politically uh, on the uh, Palestinian-Israeli track because of Israel's Israel's true desire to maintain a a bilateral uh, uh, policy, both. When I mean bilateral, I mean bipartisan, 
uh, between uh, Democrats and Republicans. So Israel is in a, a major balancing act right now. And that, that also claims, by definition, the loyalty of U.S. Jewry, which finds itself under unprecedented assault um, uh, by this new anti-Semitism. When you put all of these Lego pieces together, you find us in a very unstable position from the point of view of the U.S. Jewish community, from the point of view of the collective uh, Jewish community and state of Israel, in the middle of this, um, I would say, unprecedented tug of war between uh, uh, two uh, uh, of the major uh, uh, powers in the world, non-democratic powers, that are creating a squeeze on Israel and, by extension, on the U.S. Jewish community. Indeed. Uh, I'd like you to uh, stay in tune to this because uh, uh, I'd like to hear your position on this as well. But in the last Powers in Play program, which you hosted uh, about a week and a half ago, uh, Ambassador Ayalon spoke about uh, specifically the, the threat that we're living in today, uh, 62, obviously the, the, the uh, missile crisis uh, was uh, a characteristic you actually identified as today as being worse than what was in 62, uh, referring to uh, the 40s and even 30s uh, as uh, more of an analogy to the current state of play. Do you see this truly as, as a challenge being presented also within the context of Israel and the United States relations? Absolutely. And uh, I must say, Jonathan, that uh, since uh, we have had uh, this discussion, when I mentioned that uh, really, uh, indeed, the war in Ukraine is uh, and the threat of a, uh, of a nuclear or at least uh, um, weapon of mass destruction's um, use by a superpower today is the highest that it has ever been. Um, because before World War II, there were no mass destruction uh, weapons. Uh, certainly, the, the most tense uh, situation since uh, 1945. It got even validation, Red Square Parade uh, by the Kremlin, where uh, Putin uh, actually uh, reiterated and even, I would say, suggested that uh, this war in the Ukraine will be won one way or another by Russia. See, Putin cannot afford to lose. On the other hand, uh, we in the West cannot afford to lose. And this uh, brings it into a, a position or a, a potential of a head-on collision, which is, as I mentioned, very, very dangerous. Israel, of course, uh, is not in the uh, midst of uh, this, uh, I would say, superpower uh, collision between uh, NATO and the United States on one hand and Russia on the other hand, potentially China, who knows? Uh, we know that Putin uh, is trying actually to get China on his uh, side. China has been very judicious so far not to go, um, not crossing any red lines, but they are stand standing in the, in the sidelines. But uh, in case of an escalation of the war, there will be continued and more pressure on Israel to chip in uh, its uh, technology, uh, its uh, weapons, whether it's anti-ballistic uh, uh, systems, which are probably uh, the best uh, in the world, intelligence and other uh, methods of operations, uh, special forces, there will be a lot of pressure from NATO, from the United States. And on the other hand, of course, uh, Putin will have, will have a counter pressure on us, uh, you know, minding, of course, what's happening on our northern border. So this will not be a pleasant situation for Israel which will have to navigate in this very stormy um, um, waves and, um, and, and will have to take, at the end of the day, some very tough decisions.
Indeed, Mr. Owen? Well, uh, the Ukraine is not Israel's war. The Ukraine uh, never did anything for Israel. Israel is not part of Europe and therefore uh, could uh, never have been admitted to NATO. And uh, while uh, the scenario that Daniel Elon just presented uh, could become plausible, it is uh, not uh, yet uh, in sight. Israel's uh, overall security position is excellent. There is no existential threat to Israel right now. Yes, Israel is bleeding from time to time, whether by terror acts uh, or uh, it is uh, investing a lot of its efforts in uh, deterring and uh, averting wars and campaigns uh, in Lebanon, in Gaza. Of course, it has its eye on Iran. But all in all, Israel has never been in such an excellent uh, position. Now, uh, it does have protocols for American assistance in case, in, uh, if the contingencies are extreme. But uh, all in all, what is happening between the Israeli uh, Defense Forces and uh, at least three American commands, the Central Command, the European Command, and the uh, Special Operations uh, Command, um, uh, never better. And uh, the Americans uh, look up to the IDF as uh, a center of excellence and uh, are studying what it is doing and trying not only uh, the uh, interoperability with it, but also uh, lessons learned that they can apply to their own uh, forces. Of course, as we speak, there is currently a month uh, of war games in Israel, uh, uh, a wide-scale exercise as part of which one of those components, there is also Juniper Cobra, uh, which is a significant component thereof uh, in which U.S. Uh, uh, surface-to-air defense uh, um, personnel are training together with Israeli. Yes, uh, uh, this um, has gone on for um, many years now. Uh, in fact, uh, one of our own co-panelists, uh, retired Brigadier General or Reserve Brigadier General, Daron Gavish, is the Israeli uh, point Indeed. of contact with, with the Americans, and we will probably hear from him um, in a future uh, program. But uh, this is not uh, the same as American troops, boots on the ground, fighting and shedding blood for Israel. Israel does not want uh, that. Israel uh, can get by on its own as long as there is popular support for government policy. And uh, there is little government, little popular support for wars of choice. The government will have to uh, show a case where it was inevitable for it to um, order a strike. With that being said, Israel has become uh, a sort of an ace, uh, if you will. When we're talking about the situation in Ukraine, uh, we can also see that Europe's uh, air defenses are weak, uh, from a strategic perspective, from a tactical perspective. And therefore, uh, Mr. Dyker, I'd like to ask you, uh, to what degree can the United States employ Israeli capabilities and know-how in order to enforce U.S. partners and allies in Europe, for instance, in order to then uh, establish more interoperability, as is being promoted by CENTCOM, particularly in trying to establish a 
uh, air defense system that would be interoperable throughout the moderate Arab world of U.S. partners? Well, clearly, uh, well, first of all, the uh, American Memorandum of Understanding signed in uh, 2015, uh, which is basically a 30, uh, $30 billion dollar uh, uh, defense relationship includes uh, a massive amount of in intelligence sharing and technology sharing that uh, obviously discussions uh, and and operations uh, for deployment uh, in in Europe is is uh, part of that relationship. I think that the problem we face here is that Israel is in, in a position uh, in which it's being uh, massively pressured and if we by by the Russians in order to play ball according to the to the Russian bears agenda. And uh, that agenda is being defined by a concept called escalate to win, which is why uh, Putin has been threatening nuclear war against Europe and Britain specifically nuclear war against the West. And Israel, you know, uh, has to tread very, very carefully in this, uh, as uh, Ambassador Ayalon stated, uh, unprecedented, unstable uh, global situation. You know, just as a um, uh, a point of fact. Lavrov's statement the other day that Hitler had Jewish blood and that the Jews are cooperating with the Nazis did not was not uh, a statement that was uh, thrown out was not a hip was not a just shot from the hip. This re this reflects decades of Soviet uh, and Russian policy uh, regarding uh, regarding Israel, and I think it was a uh, it was a a cautionary a cautionary word to Israel that Israel should play ball according to, according to uh, uh, where Russia sees its particular interest right now, particularly, as Daniel Ayalon said, very much controlling uh, the skies over Syria, uh, in which there are about 180,000 rockets and uh, laser-guided missiles facing Israel. So it, it, Israel, you know, uh, everybody knows what everyone's doing from an intelligence standpoint. Russia, the United States, Western Alliance, China. So the, the, Israel's capability and intent has to be checked by realpolitik, which is defined by an extremely dangerous uh, position on the ground that is being determined very much by a strong ascendant Russia and a weak United States. And I think that's how we should look at, the, at, at Israel's decision, whether to deploy or not to deploy um, intelligence technology and, uh, uh, and, and other systems uh, across Europe. Indeed. Ambassador Ayalon? Well, uh, as I mentioned, um Although Israel is not part of the war, not even remotely so, but this has become a much larger war. It's not just the war on the Ukraine, it's the war on Europe, and if you will, it's the war about, about possessing world power. And in that case, Israel will have to play a part, even though we do not want to. And when the push comes to shove, there is no doubt that uh, where we will be. We will stand with our best uh, friend and ally, the United States. Uh, we will stand by our West, West, uh, Western uh, ideology and ideals and, uh, and, and values. And when we put this against, uh, of course, our need to uh, cooperate uh, for the conflicting purposes with the Russians uh, for our operations over Syria or, or Iraq, uh, we will have uh, to consider the, uh, the larger uh, strategic uh, values and strategic uh, interests. And I would maintain, again, if uh, uh, push comes to shove, that I'm not sure how much the Russians will want to test their capabilities, technological and otherwise, 
uh, against the Israeli uh, Air Force. They have been, uh, uh, I would say, stung before uh, in 1970 when uh, five uh, uh, Russian planes were shot down by Israeli planes, five to zero. 1982, uh, more than 90 Russian-made planes uh, flo uh, flown by uh, um, Syrians were shot down by Israelis. So I think Israel has here a room to wiggle more against Russia than uh, against our values and uh, our Western friends. Indeed. Mr. Owen, uh, we're drawing near to the end of the program, but I'd like to uh, touch on, on two questions, if uh, you will, and if you could prompted within the time left. Uh, the first, there was a report last week by the Moscow Times, uh, which is based obviously in London, uh, about uh, Russia uh, drawing back some of its troops from Syria and making available the bases where they were stationed to the Iranians, something that obviously uh, would have dire consequences to Israel. Uh, now, the second angle is the, the fiscal uh, cooperation between Israel and China. Uh, there is talk about reserves potentially being diverted towards yen. Uh, is that uh, true or is this just something that is being uh, promoted by uh, uh, various power groups? So to well, speak? it's not really cooperation between the governments. The central bank uh, here in Israel um, is uh, as conservative as all central banks are, and it wants to keep uh, the uh, foreign currency balanced, um, and if the uh, yuan is now uh, important, as the dollar is, as the euro is, as the ruble is not, then uh, some of the uh, reserves are being kept and... Uh, to diversify. There's nothing um, uh, to it. Now, as for the other report you mentioned, some of the Russian troops, and especially mercenaries, are indeed being shifted. But Russian policy is not to let uh, Iran gain the upper hand in influencing Bashar Assad. So perhaps we should not see too much into that report. And when we're talking about U.S.-Israel relations, obviously, as uh, uh, I noted in my opening remarks, President Biden is expected to visit Israel uh, next month. Are we expected to have a warm relation uh, or visit, or is it going to be a point of contention? Well, there is a, an impatience in the United States regarding Israel's status quo policy vis-a-vis -vis the Palestinians, but they also understand the delicate domestic position where Prime Minister Bennett cannot uh, come up with any initiative uh, which, uh, by the way, he is not in favor for, of anyway. Indeed. Well, unfortunately, this is all the time that we have for today. So I'd like to thank Ambassador Ayalon, Mr. Diker, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's program. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.